0: I'm Father Mitch Pacwa and welcome to Scripture and Tradition where we bring you the sacred scripture in light of Catholic tradition and especially in these times we're focusing on how to pray using sacred scripture, how to meditate on the Word of God. Now of course we'd love to have you be part of this show by adding your questions and comments uh, you can do so if you live in North, North America by calling 1-800-221-9460. one 221 9460 If you are outside North America, you can still call in, but you call Country Code 1, area code 205-271-2980. You can also send us your questions and comments by email, writing to scriptureandtradition at EWTN.com, or follow us and participate with the show on Facebook and YouTube. Now, today, we will be looking at the way our Lord and His disciples respond to a very insistent Canaanite woman. She came to Jesus seeking help for her demon-possessed daughter. And we'll also discuss the importance of listening to Jesus explain to us His mission for the world. Instead of us telling Jesus, What we want him to do, he's going to say what the Father sent him to do. Talk about the role of the evil one, especially in how he seeks young people, not only in the ancient world, but in the modern world as well. So, we are still working through my book called Praying the Gospels. Jesus' Miracles in Galilee. It's available at EWTNRC.com where it is item number 52885. 52885. You can still get that. And we'll be going over that for the next month or more. A couple months, I think. So, let us now take a look at how this Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman, approaches Jesus for an exorcism in Matthew 15. We're going to begin with verse 21 to 28 today. So let's take a look at that. First, Jesus went away from, left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. So here you have um, Jesus leaving the area of Galilee. He had to leave Galilee because the disputes with the Pharisees and the scribes over the the failure of Jesus' disciples to wash their hands before eating had increased the tension. Remember that in Matthew 15, verses 1 to 20? Uh, They asked, why do your disciples not wash their hands? And our Lord went on to explain how uncleanness comes from the heart. It's not something that comes in from the outside, but it's the uncleanness in the heart that is of concern. You also see that discussion in Mark chapter 7. Now, this led him to leave Galilee and go to the northwest toward Sidon and Tyre. Tyre and Sidon are still cities. They're, They're very ancient cities, they play important roles in history. Uh, they were the origin of lots of colonies. They were a trading kind of culture that they did lots of trade and started trade colonies, what, what the Greeks would call an emporium. And they would, um, uh, for instance, Carthage is one of their um, cities and also New Carthage and Spain. Uh, These were all very important cities to them. And they were just to the north. And again, today it would be inside the country of Lebanon. Tyre and Sidon are coastal cities in modern day Lebanon. And Jesus entered into that. Now, he was entering territory that Jewish people considered unclean, and yet, The the people of Israel had a long standing and generally very positive relationship with the people of Tyre and Sidon. The Israelites had bought and sold through them. They would do the international trade, but Israel oftentimes provided a lot of the raw materials they would send out, like olives, uh, olive oil, um, uh, wine, would, uh, grain, those would be shipped around the Mediterranean by the uh, people of Tyre and Sidon. And also, in the time of Christ, they were shipping out pickled fish that was a the major export from the Sea of Galilee. That, that's why the fishermen, there are 17 little ports around the Sea of Galilee. We'll hear more about some of them in a l- little bit today uh, and talk more about them in the next coming weeks. But that was part of what they did. So there was a, a generally a pretty good relationship uh, with the people of Tyre and Sidon, uh, even if the territory was unclean because they're not following kosher laws. Um, Now, this is something that we see where St. Matthew uses the word, behold. You know, we don't often pay attention because we don't use that word much anymore. But he uses it specifically to draw your attention to something unusual that's about to take place. It's one of his little key words. In this case, it's the unusual situation of a Canaanite woman approaching our Lord Jesus. Now, the Canaanites were the people who lived in the Promised Land even before Abram came there in the 1800s B.C. So these are long-standing residents. And... We don't know exactly how far back some of them go. We know that there were cities that were settled in places like Lebanon and Byblos, Lebanon going back to 9,000 B.C. So the very ancient settlements, are they the same people mixed in with other immigrants? Probably a a combination uh, of these very ancient people. And they still were worshiping Baal. They still worshiped Baal at the time of Christ. Uh, This is the God that the Canaanites had worshiped in the Old Testament. That was a source of a lot of temptation for the people of Israel. Another reason that this is so unusual, that someone who worshiped Baal would come to ask help for her daughter. Now, there's a precedent for this, where the widow of Zarephath, another Canaanite village, had asked the prophet Elijah for help when her son was sick. Here, too, we see this Canaanite woman recognizes who Jesus is. Now, that's one of the key things here. Notice she addresses him as Lord Son of David. Again, I already made mention there was a good relationship with the people of Tyre and Sidon going back to the time of King David. King David made a treaty uh, with Hiram, the king of Tyre, and that was renewed with King Solomon. You see that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 11, and in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse verses 1 through 14. So this is something that uh, is going back to that relationship. She's calling him Lord and the son of David and is recognizing who he is. She knows his identity to a certain extent, not unlike... The woman at the well, Samaritan woman at the well, in John chapter 4, calls Jesus the Messiah. So it's interesting that these non-Jewish people, especially non-Jewish women, are recognizing Jesus' identity. as something to pay attention. And it really is an astounding level of faith in Jesus coming from a non-Israelite, a Canaanite, who may have been in the transition away from worshiping Baal. Now, having addressed him so positively, the Syrophoenician woman says, have mercy on me. This is the same kind of petition that is made by the leper that came to Jesus in, for instance, in Mark chapter 1, that it's the same petition for mercy. And the reason she asks for mercy, strong words, (inaudible) um, because she is very much, uh, her daughter is severely possessed By a demon. Now it's interesting that they already recognize different levels of possession, and still exorcists to this day uh, have this. This word severely translates a Greek verb that means in an evil way, evilly. We we don't use that adverbial form of evil, but it's in an evil way. Um, And it's used in test intensify how badly and how serious an affliction this uh, young girl is experiencing. And we don't know specifically how the demon affects her. We don't have that uh, described. But it certainly is something where the girl is suffering a lot. And like any mother who sees her child suffer, The mother suffers with the child. You have to work hard to get a mother to not have empathy for her child. Uh, This woman has that naturally. Um, And she's even somewhat overwhelmed. Now, this is something that we should pay attention to because we see that Evil likes to attack the weak and vulnerable. The weak and vulnerable are sought out by the the enemy of our soul. Why? Because it's a way to scandalize stronger people. It's a way to get them very upset. We can see how the, the Nazis attacked the Jews after the uh, Jewish people and the people of Germany in general were no longer allowed to have any firearms. They were confiscated by the Nazi party. So now everybody is def- in you know, defense mode and they, they can't fight back. And then you go after them. That's a great way to see evil acting on the weak. Same thing happened in, this, in the United States. In the 1880s, African Americans were also forbidden to have firearms. You couldn't sell firearms to African Americans. And within 10 years of that, the lynchings increased radically. They began and increased. And there was no defense. It's evil likes to attack the vulnerable. And this is something that gets people to feel despair and helplessness at the aggression of evil. And this is something that uh, we can see going on in our society. Look at the way government forces try to get people to attack the vulnerable in our society now, the unborn. Your career and the possibility of a, good, of a good career is more important than the life of that child. That attacks the vulnerable. If, uh, you know, the idea of our comfort is more important than letting a sick and elderly person linger on. You know, you just take, take care of that. You see, we've seen all kinds of situations Where uh, in terrorist attacks, how often we saw terrorists attacking uh, children, blowing up school buses, attacking people in the marketplace, going to the vulnerable. And the way that we've seen child sex abuse and, and human trafficking, especially of children, this is still going on. And today, uh, there are more slaves than there were in the 17 or 1800s. Slavery has increased for the sake of human sexual gratification and primarily seeks out the weak, the young. This is a very serious issue. Um, in Africa... In some of the civil wars that had been going on, I think it's calm, some of it's calmed down, but children were given drugs, especially boy children, in order to have them fight in the battles with little concern for their own welfare. This was the kind of thing that is done. And oftentimes our culture, the world in general, ignores these kind of abuses of the young. And in some places... Politicians encourage it. Think of how frequently the United States tells poor nations, we'll give you aid, we'll give you financial aid if you agree to let us teach your women how to have abortions. If you you let us teach your women to kill their own children, then we'll give you aid. This is an abuse of poor nations. And it's shameful, especially goes on in Latin America, the Caribbean, and Africa. So this is good examples of the forces of the evil one who is A, a liar and the father of lies, and B, a murderer. Those are the definitions of Jesus in John chapter 8 that the evil one, Satan, is a liar and a murderer. And when we see deception and killing as a tool for various agendas, you know that that comes from the evil one. And this is where we have to imagine ourselves. You know, t- t- take a look at this gospel passage in Matthew 15. Imagine yourself being like the Canaanite woman put yourself in her position and have you know ask god for an increase of your faith faith is something that we have but it can grow and ask for an increase of faith so that you can say with her lord jesus son of david have mercy on me and have mercy on our weak have mercy on our vulnerable our elderly our children in the wombs, our children who are being sold into slavery. Have mercy on us. And more profoundly, ask our Lord Jesus to exercise lordship over your own life. Ask him to be the Lord of your heart. Especially as we are about to begin, in the Roman Rite, to begin Lent the Eastern Rites, they've already begun Lent. Ask the Lord for this and ask Him to defeat the forces of evil and the habits of sin, the patterns of sin that are in our lives, and then help us to be the Lord's tools to bring an end to that evil in our society. This would be a good prayer. And conclude that kind of prayer with the Lord's Prayer, with the Our Father, asking that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll take a little break and we'll come back in just a minute, so please stay with us. Now, we've been talking about the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, verses 21 to 22. We'll now take a look at the next two verses where Jesus responds, but his response is determined by the mission that his father gave him. So let's take a look at the passage. It says in verse 23, But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. All right, so first, notice our Lord's silence doesn't respond to her. It's the disciples who plead with him at this point because they don't really care about the woman. And I don't get any sense that they really cared about the little girl. They just were upset that this lady is annoying them it's their own convenience to be free of this insistent woman from, you know, who's coming after them. And, you know, I've, uh, as you know, I have my faculties in the Maronite Rite, and I you know, go to the Maronite Church. I celebrate liturgy there. In fact, just so you all know, we, we already started uh, Lent uh, yesterday. We have Ash Monday. Um, I don't know the whole reason why they moved it up a couple days, uh, different than the Roman Rite. Most of my parish thinks that it's appropriate, that I need a little more penance. We're all in agreement on that. But I have seen some of the uh, Lebanese ladies, same ethnic background as this lady, and their insistence on various issues becomes very difficult to resist. So um, I can can picture this scene fairly easily. And, you know, their response is not one of love, you know, uh, for the neighbor in need. And they're not even really acting out of deeper faith in Jesus. That's not their concern. They are more concerned with not being bothered. That's it. They uh, simply don't want these loud cries from this lady who's absolutely insistent to stay on So, Jesus speaks to the disciples and explains some of this. Uh, And this is a principle that he had taught them earlier. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 10, when our Lord sent the 12 out, he sent the 12 out on their first mission with the following instructions, saying, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His mission to Israel is something deeply rooted in God's will. It is something that had been predicted by the prophets. This is, and I've heard some of the modern commentators trying to say, well, actually, Jesus was very nationalistic, and he had this kind of nationalism, and, you know, we, we really should send some protests against him. That is dumb as a box of rocks. It is not what the issue is. It's rather that for centuries prior to this the people of Israel had been promised a Messiah and his first duty is to go to them to fulfill that mission. This is what had been said by the prophets. It has nothing to do with any personal animosity. Um, And a good example, this, I, I, in my book I cite Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 5, where it says, in speaking about the Babylonians, um, a, a Gentile people, it, Jeremiah wrote, they, the Babylonians, shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, and they shall come and join themselves to the Lord by an everlasting <laughs> Excuse me, by an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. So the Gentiles are not hated or excluded. And there are lots of passages that will speak about that. Um, and for instance, again, go on to the next verse in Jeremiah 50, verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From the mountain to hill they have gone, and they have forgotten their fold. So this is one of the things that had happened when they broke the covenant and their leadership, the king as a political leader and the priests, had neglected the law of God. They disobeyed God. And so the people were wandering aimlessly. Again, think about that in our own political and cultural situation where we have had, I think it's changed and one of these days we're gonna do an EWTN live uh, kind of update on this, but it had been made illegal to even display the Ten Commandments in public schools and public places. It was illegal to say, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. These were against the law to to put up in the public school. So when you have the leaders misguiding the people, of course they're going to wander around and, and stray. And Christ was sent to those strange sheep. That's why we'll see in this gospel, he calls himself the good shepherd. He does that in the other gospels. He does it a, a big section of chapter 10 in John. He calls himself the good shepherd because he's going to the lost sheep to gather them. And then they will be the focus for the nations to come to God. So that, you know, as a matter of fact, back in uh, the early days when Mother Angelica built the convent here, there was a sign out front uh, welcoming everybody to come, anybody and everybody to come to the chapel because my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But first, Christ had to go to the people of Israel. And he had also to give them a new covenant. A NEW COVENANT IN HIS BLOOD. THAT'S WHAT HE SAYS WHEN HE INSTITUTES THE HOLY EUCHARIST. THAT FULFILLS A PROPHECY IN JEREMIAH CHAPTER 31 VERSE 31 WHICH SAYS, THE DAYS ARE SURELY COMING, SAYS THE LORD, WHEN I WILL MAKE A NEW COVENANT WITH THE HOUSE OF ISRAEL AND THE HOUSE OF JUDAH. THAT'S THE PROMISE. AND SO HE'S GOING TO FULFILL THAT and make that covenant. As a matter of fact, no Old Testament prophet or sage or king or leader ever says the covenant is renewed. It's Jesus Christ at the institution of the Holy Eucharist who says, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. This is what uh, he did. Now, he is not there to reject the people who are non-Israelites, but rather his mission is to the Israelites first and then to the Gentiles after his resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost. But it's the way that it's set up in the economy of salvation. So we have to deal with a couple of things in this. First, we don't. We have to meditate on the apostles. Consider them. We don't want to be like the apostles who ask God for help just because people are annoying us. (laughs) That's not a good approach. And we don't want to be uh, able to shut out the cries of other people. We have to do what we can, especially in the face of so many attacks of evil, so much violence that goes on in our society. We need to deal with that. We have to avoid coldness toward others, and we do that by staying close to our Lord Jesus Christ, being united with Him. And that's one thing. Also, sometimes we have to deal with uh, a certain amount of His silence, and sometimes we have to be silent like Jesus. Um, We have to pay attention to the mission that we have in silent and especially in prayerful silence so that we can understand what it is we are supposed to do might not be the first need that we perceive but rather the deeper issues and deeper needs just as our Lord was sensitive to second we also need to listen to Jesus our Lord and how he explains his mission his mission is rooted in the promises that the Lord God had made to Israel. That's the starting point. And it's not just on a good idea in the moment. It's rather from the whole of the past. And this is something that connects present action, present activities, former sins, former failures, all of this has to be pulled together and integrated to understand the mission so that we find a peace from God, a peace that comes from being closely attentive to Jesus Christ, not to some committee that comes up with some cool idea. The committees might be useful, but ultimately they need to focus on Jesus and what he says his mission is. He must be the center, the root, the source. And we also have to deal with the urgency that is in the present issues and deal with the tension between fidelity to what Jesus says and the present-day urgency. That's a tension. And we live in that tension. And we have to approach that tension with with care and sensitivity. And above all, understand that our mission is from God. Our mission comes from Him. It's not a human task. It's not a human endeavor. It is primarily God's action and His grace makes it possible to go forward so that we can accept the lordship of Jesus ever more deeply in our lives okay alright well we'll stop there and we'll continue on to finish up next week with the rest of the story of the Canaanite woman So, um, for now I'd like to get to some of your own emails Let's start off with an email from Cindy. This is an interesting one. Um, she asks, what is a succinct way to answer my teenager when he asks, what is confirmation and why am I doing this? Well, go with my parents' special. Because I said so. <laughs> but that probably won't work. <laughs> no. there, there, there's, of course, something deeper. In baptism you're born again in Christ and this is crucial and ask him and any other confirmation uh, candidate to consider their baptism and what Christ is doing the forgiveness of sins but all uh, original sin but also in baptism you become part of God's family and yet there's another stage in life. Besides being born again, those who are born as children are, again, vulnerable and weak. That's fine. But then we have um, a situation where when a child comes to a certain kind of maturity and they are start they are able to start taking care of themselves, and also they begin to be strong enough to care for others. Confirmation is a gift of the Holy Spirit. A, He seals our souls. He puts an indelible character in your soul that you belong to Him to be empowered, And just as, I don't know how old your son is, but at age 18 or 19, such a son might be called up to serve our country in the military. So also, every Christian is called up to be in Christ's military. I've talked today about the difficulties of fighting the forces of evil. And these are very evil forces. And it takes a lot of effort, a lot of courage, a lot of wisdom and understanding and knowledge, which are three of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it also takes Him empowering you. Just as when a young person enlists in the military, he or she is trained and then empowered with weapons to fight against the nation's enemies. Well, the enemies that we deal with are Satan. That's why I would urge you to have your son go to Ephesians chapter 6, where it says we are not fighting against mere flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities, the satanic forces. And we have to put on the armor of Christ and use the one offensive weapon. He gives us all this defensive material, but then the one offensive weapon he gives us is the two-edged sword of Scripture. And The gift of confirmation is meant to strengthen a young person, to take on the fight against evil. Not only self-control and dealing with one's own sins, but also becoming part of that reaction to evil that says, Lord, what do you want me to do? In the face of People who are telling, trying to normalize sinful relationships in, in sexual areas. Your son needs to be someone who learns to focus. I am going to promote marriage. And I am going to seek out a woman to whom I will be faithful until I die. And I will take up the cause against the breakdown of family and all the evils that that calls, it brings on our society. I will stand up and be that kind of man. Or in the case of a girl child, I'll be that kind of woman. And all the other issues that are destroying us, drugs and so many other things, and that he will be enlisted to fight with Christ and for Christ against those forces of evil. So confirmation is very, very important. All right, we'll take a break. We have some calls and we have more emails, so please stay with us. Hey, welcome back. Just want to make a couple announcements before we get to your questions. First of all, tomorrow night for EWTN Live on Ash Wednesday, uh, which is 8 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be speaking with Mr. Scott Wieman, who's the founder of a ministry known as Catholic in Recovery. He talks about how he found healing from addiction and a new life. Using the 12 step recovery program and the love of Jesus and his mercy as experienced in the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And it's a great combination of those two. So that'd be, I I, I like his book so far. So I hope that uh, he's a great guest too. Don't know him yet, but we'll meet him. And then I'm also inviting you to join me on a pilgrimage to Poland. And we will be walking in the footsteps of various Polish saints. We're planning to leave May 8th to the 18th. And if you want to get more information, you can go to Mateo Travel, M-A-T-T-E-O, MateoTravel.com. And I'll let you know some of the places we plan to go. Uh, Kalvaria Zebzjadovska, of course Auschwitz, the concentration camp, Vadovice, uh, the town of Zakopane, the vialichka salt mine, the Church of St. Anne in Novahuta. One of my favorites is the Shrine of the Martyrdom of St. Stanislav, the bishop, and then also in Wagyevniki, where Uh, St. Faustina lived in the Shrine of Divine Mercy. Um, Also, Częstochowa and Warsaw. And we'll see the tombs of the primate uh, Tomasz Wyszyński and Jerzy Popiewuszko. And in addition to all that travel, we'll teach you how to pronounce those Polish words. (laughs) We just don't do many vowels. (laughs) So we'll learn how to do all that. But it'd be wonderful to have you there and We want to make uh, some documentary work as well on those saints. All right. Let us now go to Nancy in Florida. Nancy, what can we do for you?
1: Hi there. Yeah. Hi. um, You know, during Jesus' time, uh, he was asked often about curing people with demons, Mm -hmm. and he did so, of course. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, we don't have demons as such. Can you explain there the, the, the
0: difference or the, you know, what, what he was doing yeah. then and compared to now? Well, right, Nancy, stay on a second. I am delighted that you don't come across any of that. Because you've not come across any people uh, possessed by demons, right? Not that I know of. Good, good, you're blessed. You're blessed. However, there is in fact a tremendous increase of demon possession and obsession in our world today. You may not have heard much about it, but it really is increasing. And it's increasing for a number of reasons. One, people, are not obeying God's commandments. And when you disobey the commandments of God, they don't go to church as much. They kill. Look at the frequency of murder, the frequency of adultery, the frequency of stealing, and how some of our government officials allow it. And don't punish the criminal. So people move more to the side of evil. And then you add to that that a lot of people are also becoming involved in the occult. Astrology, tarot cards, all kinds of occult things. And that puts them on the territory of the demon. In fact, to tell you the truth, there are, there's such an increase in demonic activity, that the Vatican opened up a school to train exorcists, and it's going on on a regular basis. Now, the reason you don't hear quite so much about it is that um, a lot of this is kept uh, kind of secret in the way that confession is. It's some in, in many ways equivalent to what you do say in confession. We don't, you know, go talking about yeah. I sort of got a big demon today. This is not like Ghostbusters or something where you do a Hollywood thing. It's you know you protect the victim of the possession. But there is a lot of the, and there's even a, a podcast. I think. It's by Father Carlo Martins. I think that's, you, you can look that up, I believe. And uh, he uh, uh, does a lot of exorcism work. So you, you can find out more. But actually, there is a lot going on. Does that help?
1: Yes, it does. Thank you Yeah, very
0: it, much. there's plenty of it. And pray for the exorcists, because they really do experience a lot of, problems themselves that the evil one doesn't like them at all so they you know also are have to walk on spiritual eggshells so but yeah there's plenty of it and it's increasing where are you from and why are you dressed like that
1: <laughs> father
0: um, my name is
1: eric Janfer caro i'm a seminarian studying for the diocese of wilmington okay um I'm here on retreat with a brother of mine, and we came to see you, so I'm blessed and thank you for... Yeah, great to have you here. Um, One of my questions, I really appreciated the fact that when you mentioned, you know, in the state today, between church and state, they take out the commandments now in, in the schools and no longer prayers in the schools. And then, you know, now, unfortunately, it's starting to seep into the church, you're starting to see a lot of the stations being taken out, the statues, our Lord is being moved um, from the, in the tabernacle off to the side. You know, how can we lead those sheep that are lost in their faith and they sure. don't see anything anymore and they don't have that, that deep faith anymore because it's just, it's not there anymore?
0: Yeah, right. this is something where we need to do two things. Uh, one we need to evangelize more. In fact, the bishops of the United States recognize that need, so they've asked for three years of evangelization about the Eucharist because for the last 60 years or so, there has been a combination of false teaching about the nature of the Eucharist or a de-emphasis of the Eucharist, an emphasis not on the presence of Jesus Christ, but on the uh, experience of the community. Uh, You had liturgists in the past, well, before you were born, young man, uh, liturgists who were saying things like, well, you can't have the Blessed Sacrament on the main altar because the presence of Jesus is a distraction at Mass. You've heard that. So they're still saying in your day, mm-mm-mm. That is one of the, uh, that, that's a wicked statement because you're saying that the presence of Jesus is a distraction? If he is a distraction, my question is, who is the main attraction here? Uh, you know, the, the servers? The priest? What? No. Jesus has to be the man, so we have to evangelize. Secondly, when we are in positions of having influence and authority, we have to restore those things back to the way they're supposed to be and undo it. And that's going on nationwide. That really is. So that's very good news. Uh, In fact, they used to call churches where they removed the Blessed Sacrament the churches of St. Mary Magdalene. They have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they placed him. We have another caller. Hello, Denise. Yes. Yeah, calling from Maryland? Yes, sir. Yes, Father oh. Richard. Great. And so what can we do for you today? I would like your opinion. I pray the prayer to end abortion but yeah. priest for life, praying for Rome and mm-hmm. my daddy, mass. Mm-hmm. Four times, I pray to protect the unborn, I Lady you go be back. Mm-hmm. When I went to daily mass, my priest told me he wasn't talking properly and not to pray this the like prayer card. What is your opinion? That you ask, did you want me to pray the card to you? Yeah, no, here's, here's the thing. Uh, you know, Father Pavona's has had his difficulties, but, uh, you know, and, he, and he's been uh, moved to the lay state, but that doesn't mean that the prayer is uh, false or wrong. the The prayer is, um, you know, very uh, is a very good prayer, and I would um, very much, you know, urge, you know, that, that there's nothing wrong with that prayer. Uh, now, if ask your priest if he heard that there's been some official saying that you can't use it. But I don't, I don't know of any. So there's nothing wrong with the prayers, just um, to pray for the end of abortion is uh, still an important thing. One more email before we go. Father Mitch, I have often wondered why Adam and Eve did not have children in the Garden of Eden. God created all things and said, be fruitful, multiply. Love to hear your answer. Uh, Cindy, well, Cindy, they sinned before they started having children. And they got kicked out before. You know, uh, I don't, I've never been a physical father, or spiritual father, but um, from what I've been told, it usually takes nine months. Uh, apparently, they sinned before they could get a family started. And that's why, you know, so, you know, the, you gotta be careful you don't jump the gun on sin. <laughs> In fact, don't do it. Um, but that's, that's why that is the case. Okay? All right. I'm afraid that we have run out of time. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, we can bring you this program and all the other programs that we do here and abroad only because the network is brought to you by you. So we ask you to please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, because that is the way our Lord inspired Mother Angelica to have this network work. So God bless you all, and thank you for your support.